The Napa Know How Motorsport Academy is back, bigger than ever, in 2022. Led by supercar star Bryce Forward as the driver mentor, the Academy offers tuition to all racers aged 13 and up, giving insights into the world of racecraft and analysis, plus information on health, sponsorship and media. On top of the information you'll receive, you can win regular prizes and best of all, it's free to join. Get involved at the new Napa Motorsport Asia Pacific Facebook and Instagram pages or visit the Napa Australia or New Zealand websites to sign up and be part of know-how that is synonymous with Napa. Start your engines. This is the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer Podcast. Welcome and thanks for coming back. This is episode two of the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. I'm Darren Smith. This is my mate Gaz, Gary O'Brien, right next to us. We've got a great show ahead today. We've got young Ayrton Filippi from the Victorian State Series Formula V as part of the Napa Academy. We've also got a fantastic guest on with us from the Open Wheeler Fraternity, and we're going to welcome Tim Macro a little bit later on. But uh, let's go and have a quick chat with Ayrton Filippi. I've got one of the Napa Know-How Motorsport Academy's best examples of all the members that we have. It's Ayrton Philippi, and he is on the line with me now, mate. How are you? Hey, Grant. How are you? Good, thank you. Hey, you've been really, really engaged with the, the Napa Know-How Motorsport Academy program posting lots and for 15 years old you certainly you know know how to use your social media tell us a little bit about why you why you do what you do well I've decided to do what I do because grassroots racing is um, very popular in Australia if you want to get into V8 supercars you obviously have to go at start at the grassroots level so late December 2020 I decided to start my own podcast and during COVID it was a great way to um, you know, repay my partners because I wasn't able to get on track and show show them the results that they're looking for. So I started this podcast to show my partners that we can still look after them and to get a perspective on grassroots racing. I love it. Perfect. And apologies that we uh, we actually used the grassroots racer name in this podcast as well. But as everyone would have seen, it's now the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing not to uh, get it confused with your grassroots racer. But uh, but anyway, just tell us a little bit about your journey as, uh, as, a, as a racing car driver or someone who wants to go as high as you can. You currently race at grassroots level, but you're also only 15 as well. So uh, you're not quite ready for a super license to jump into Formula One. But tell us about the karting journey that you've had and, and what you'd like to do beyond the circuit racing stuff that you've just got into? Yeah, so in 2015, I started my karting career. We obviously didn't have a lot of money at the time, nor sponsors, so we had to um, get into it as a hobby. So started as a hobby, and then in 2016, lots of people suggested to my dad, they said, oh, he should go do some state racing because he's got a lot of talent and just see how he goes. So I went to Todd Road for the first round of the state series and I uh, ended up winning that weekend and lots of people were shocked um, and we didn't really know what to do because we were brand new into the sport so that year I went out to win um, I think it was like oh well I don't know how much I won but I know I got on the podium like 23 times out of 29 races so it was a very successful year 
And um, yeah, the, the other years I've always done the same. I've always been on the podium in the Golden Power Series and I've just slowly moved my way up to car racing. Cool. So you've done uh, you've done some like club level uh, sprints and uh, some uh, like basically road car on dirt stuff. Uh, and you've also been doing some Formula V. You had a bit of an accident recently as well. Yeah, I did. So um, late 2020 as well, I decided to um, start racing in Murakami. So that's where we get the home baguettes, which is a cheap car. And you go out there, you run for fun. It's all you need is a non-speed cams license or most for Australia. And you just need a cheap car and you can go out there for like 20 bucks and throw the car around for a bit of fun. And everyone obviously does have a bit of fun. And then some guys have Subarus that go warp speed compared to mine. Um, but yeah, and then we got into the Vs this year. Um, we had the Lisa car for Sandia. Um, and then we actually did really well. We started, uh, I think, about 20th. And then by the end of the weekend, we were knocking on the top 10. So I was really happy with that. Then at Winton, uh, we had a lot of car issues. We didn't start the car until Saturday morning uh, and we missed Friday practice. So we had to get ourselves together and obviously get on track so we could qualify for the race. But when we went out to qualify, the oil started leaking and I thought the best thing to do was to pull in. So we pulled in, checked it all over. I had to get permission to start. Um, and then we had engine troubles the whole weekend. Then in the final race of the day, I think about five laps to go, I came to turn three, the rear stepped out. I tried to catch it. And next thing I knew at 120 kilometers an hour, went head on into the fence. That uh, does not sound pleasant at all, but we're looking forward to seeing you back out on track. So what, uh, what does the best case scenario future look like for yourself? Where would you like to take your grassroots racing from when we fast forward five or 10 years time? Well, first of all, I'd like to see um, how we go in the Napa Motorsport Academy because um, we had a look at the prizes this year, which have changed a little bit. And to go to the Indy 500 next year would be a pleasure because there'll be so many people there and we can meet some people and hopefully talk about maybe going to America. But for now, I'm just going to see where it all takes me and hopefully next we can move only up in categories and you know we just got to see where it takes us because we haven't got the money to just throw at people so hopefully we can look for some doors and contacts to get us towards the the big leagues cool mate and uh, and and about the academy what's the thing that you've really enjoyed about it or the the, the couple of things that you've uh found of most use in uh, in your career whether that's on on track or off well, the Napa Motorsport Academy has provided me with access to different resources that really help me with my racing and in particular the mental videos. Um, I always like wait around for emails or I even just check the website sometimes for when the new videos come out. Like Nicole Bryant has taught me the importance of fitness and looking after my health. So I've really like, you know, watched her videos and how I can make a difference when I'm driving, you know, being a lot more physical physically strong is better for when you're in the car so you don't get weakened and lose hydration and you can just keep your focus the whole time. The, like the Napa gift card I won last year, it went towards a personal trainer as well as the helmet suit I needed to race in Formula B. So I really appreciate how lucky I was to be selected 
and Napa has helped me with just those few examples. Awesome, mate. Well, it's been a pleasure having you as part of the academy. We'll um, we look forward to seeing you back out on track, and uh, of course, give your uh, give your socials a shout out because uh, we want people to see what you're doing. You know, and and I reckon for a, a, a kid as young as fifteen, you do an outstanding job with it. So give us the shout out. Well, um, up there's our logo, Flipping Man Motorsport. So that's on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, and Instagram. I'm pretty sure. Um, so it's flipping mad motorsport and, uh, should come up straight away. Hopefully. <laughs> cool, mate. All right. Hey, thanks for your time. Uh, enjoy your grassroots racing. Thanks, Grant. Thanks very much, Grant Rowley there with Ayrton Filippi. Great to have Ayrton as part of the Napa Academy. He certainly can look up to our next person on our podcast, a guy with, uh, an illustrious career. We welcome Tim Macro. Hello, Tim Macro. Hi, Gary. How are you going? Good. Uh, commiserations on the weekend, mate. It didn't go quite as you anticipated. Any hope of a, um, a third Gold Star uh, win or Australian Drivers' Championship uh, title was uh, gone in the last race, effectively? Oh, well done, oh. Gaz. Start the whole thing off onto a high note there. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Tim. Didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, well thanks, done, Gaz. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, we, we want to make sure that he's um, comfortable now that we've got the nasty bit out of the way. We're not going to throw it down his face later on. No, it was it was a tough weekend all round. Um, we, we were a bit of a long shot going into it, but we needed a few things to fall our way. And to be honest, it went more the other way than, than anything. So... It was just one of those weekends and, you know, that happens in motorsport and uh, you take it on the chin and you move on. Yeah, certainly. Well, now that we've got you here, we, we might as well go back to the start. Um, obviously, family involvement in motorsport has a lot to do with it. So where was, uh, were you originally going to be in a, a driving suit at some stage with a helmet on or did you have plans to do other things? Well, dad actually didn't really pressure us too hard to, to get into motorsport, even though dad was, you know, you, you're probably aware of um, my dad and what he's done over the years from the 60s through the 80s. But, you know, I played a lot of football, actually, when I was younger, but I was, I was pretty good at footy, but I was never going to be big enough. And, you know, I was playing footy on Saturday mornings and then going through and racing in the afternoon at uh, go-karts. And uh, at the end, I had to choose. And yeah, I'm, I'm only a little guy, so I wasn't going to be much good on the footy field. So I ended up um, going with the karting and, you know, uh, I love karting and, and still do. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's been a big part of our lives um, from then on. So, Tim, you're a child of the 80s and your dad had a, an illustrious career, certainly in the open wheelers. And I, I mistakenly, when I met your dad, I was a little bit in awe of him. And I mistakenly said that he was driving a Tiger, not the Cheetah. And he reminded me very, very quickly of that. And it was one of those moments where I said, I just love that green Repco open wheeler. And yeah, the, the cool. word slipped out, well, um, you know, a bit, bit difficult. But I guess your memory, you, you don't have memories of that because you weren't obviously, um, you know, born, I guess, when they were running those cars. Yeah, I, I was. Um, I, I remember sitting in the seat of it at night making broom broom noises because um, <laughs> dad used to do about 16 races a year in that car. And he used to convert it from Formula 2 to Formula Mondial or Pacific, whatever you want to call it. And um, so there was many late nights at his shop um, refitting all the Formula 2 bits. So taking out the BDA um, Cosworth and putting in a Golf and putting a whole new rear end on it, splitting wheels and putting smaller wheels on it. 
so I do vaguely remember that sort of stuff. And there's a few photos of me at Sandown in the car, sitting there with, with dad's helmet on and me sliding down the mud bank when it was raining out the back of the pits before it was bitumen. So <laughs> there's a few of those around and I do vaguely remember that. So it was because uh, dad finished up, I think it's 86 that he sort of did his last race at the Australian Grand Prix. Um, so yeah, I do remember some of that sort of stuff. I would have met him in 1985, I think, doing AF2 at Oran Park yep. in a championship round, racing against the likes of Arthur Abrahams and uh, the like that were around at that era. So from your early kart days, where was uh, your aspirations going to be? The only other thing we've given you size, I suppose you could have been a jockey. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Thanks, Gaz, another, another yeah, good uh, one there. Yeah, he's been really um, hard on me at the start of this interview, hasn't he? Oh, <laughs> uh, it'll get better. Don't worry. I'm not trying no. to be. <laughs> You're no, not one of those me. drivers, Tim, that normally uh, ushers people away when they want to talk to. I think he, he might have done that to Gaz recently. <laughs> Look, I, I had aspirations of Formula One, as everyone does. Um, I still you know, do. And then, yeah, and, you know, then uh, later on in my career, once I've done Formula Ford and um, done a bit of F3, um, I went to the US and my target was IndyCar. And um, we didn't quite, we, look, I just, I had bad timing, really bad timing. So that was 2000, 2008, so that's GFC, maximum GFC. And that's when IndyCar and uh, IRL uh, came back together. And believe it or not, that was actually a bad thing for me because I was locked in to do former Atlantic. And um, that sort of half, ceased to exist at that point so I sort of came home with my tail between my legs about that time but my aspirations at that point sort of after done Formula Ford was definitely um, having a career in the US. So Tim Formula Ford um, you know I remember quite vividly the the 06B that you ran in the the Victorian State Series I, I called yep. some of those races then you moved on to the the 09 and then the 010 um, in the I guess famous Bosch batteries livery which was yep. um, you know there was a number of people around there and in that that series when you got second in the national series in 04 to Dave Reynolds and Steve Owen in, was third you know like a, that's a fairly heavy alumni that you went through Formula Ford uh, racing with yeah um like that 06b you know that I owe that my career to that car like I mean when uh, Mark Winterbottom was the Bosch um, batteries driver in uh, 03 and 02 and towards the end of um, 02, when I was still in, in, in that spectrum, my, me and my dad were racing that. My grandpa actually helped us buy it. Um, I, I finished second to him at the Sandown 500 support race, which wasn't a part of the championship at that point. And we diced and I passed him a couple of times and finished second. And, you know, once Mark moved up to Super 2, um, Mike um, offered me the drive in that car. And, you know, so that car was just brilliant. And, you know, 03 was a learning. We just missed out on Rookie of the Year. And then 04, like, I mean, like I came out of the sand trap slower than Dave and he won the championship in the West. Like, that was basically it. Like, you know, it was head-to-head -head into the last race. I came down the hill um, in second, went to pass him. We banged wheels. We both went into the sand trap. And uh, whoever came out quicker won, and he did. And I think it was one or two points. So that was pretty disappointing. But we had a mega year, like, you know, um, my family put everything into it. You know, we didn't have massive budgets and all that sort of thing, but we really put everything into it. And, you know, um, that was a fantastic year. And, uh, and yeah, a little disappointing, but it was great. And then, of course, you moved into uh, Formula 3 in the Australian Drivers' Championship. 
fifth yep. in the first season and second in the second. I suppose you were thinking your world was going to be full of seconds until yeah. 2000 and, <laughs> 2007 where you broke through and uh, with Scud Racing, you moved to them and got the championship in, in that year and then followed up with third, seconds. Uh, there's a couple of ones we won't talk about. Ninth and then first again in 2013. Yeah, like, I mean, 2005, um, again, dad and, and grandpa, everyone got together and we, and we bought a car. And I think I only did part of the championship that year. So we only did four, four or five maybe rounds of that year. And then um, we weren't, we were actually done in 2006. Like we, we had no, no money and we were going to sell everything and I was going to go and do something different. And um, luckily Scud Racing sort of grabbed my car and said, right, I will, I'll help, um, help fund it. Bill Maddox was, was the owner of Scud Racing and he sort of, you know, took our car and, and we did most of the year that year. And then we, we needed a car update. We were um, in an older generation car in 01, which was still five-speed H pattern and the 04 uh, Delara was, was quite a bit better. And in the last round of that year, uh, Bevan Carrick and Bill did a deal for me to drive Bevan's car, the cool temp car um in the last uh round of that year and we won both races and then we convinced bevan to you know because bevan actually drove the car quite a bit himself um to step aside and, and let me drive it for the year in 07 and we did the full year that year and um if you don't know bevan like bevan was pretty instrumental uh in will power's career um he helped will when he was in formula three which was in the cool temp car as well which was a, an earlier model car a 98 i think it was Stellara. so He'd uh, helped a lot of people along the way. And I had a mega year in 07. Like uh, that was probably F3 in Australia at its peak. You know, we had, you know, Marco Mapelli, who's a factory Lambo driver. Um, James Winslow has driven everything. Uh, Leanne Tando was in there. Um, and then people came along the year who were, you know, brilliant. And we had fields of 30 at the Australian Grand Prix when all the, um, the Asian drivers came down as well. And we won three out of four of those races. So we had a, a really good year in, in 2007. And, then after that, on the back of that, I, I went over to the US and I did a, a bit of a test off actually against some World Series drivers and some different guys from England um, over in the deep south in the US with Eric um, with yeah, Jensen Motorsport, uh, with Eric over there. And uh, I actually won that. And um, so we were all paid up to, to do the 08 season in former Atlantic um, with uh, major sponsorship from Best Buy and places like that. But, uh, you know, with GFC and the re-amalgamation, it all sort of fell over. So, I mean, 010 and 09, 09 was a good year. We finished runner-up. We probably should have won that year, but we, um, uh, we, we blew the engine on the last, uh, last event. So, and then, to be honest, leading up to 2013, it was all just bit seasons here and there. And um, I was almost kind of done at that point, to be fair. Tim, just um, take a breath on the F3 at the moment and just look back at the Formula Ford. The relationship, the personal relationships among families, you, your father with the cheetah and obviously Brian Sheep, yourself with Mike Borland. Um, yep, there's, a, there's a lot of crossover there with Brian Sheed and with Mike Borland, your dad and, and, and Brian and yourself with Mike there. Does that sort of thing ever come to the forward of your mind and think, wow, this has been a, this is pretty intertwined, but how cool is it that we've been able to have this cross-generational thing in families going through that's oh, it's amazing like um i remember going to brian brian sheed's house at the back of morty alec when he was building the cars and mike was there and so mike was my dad's race engineer when he was a teenager um you know before he did crookie and all those guys later on in the 80s 
like I mean, I saw Mike today. I was at his factory today. So, I mean, that whole family with the Samsons as well, you could probably put into that. And, you know, we still regularly talk to, to Brian and, you know, it, it's, it's been an amazing sort of journey. Like my dad's sort of been involved with those guys since the sixties and we, we still are in a, in a roundabout way. And um, it, it's been an, an amazing journey. And to be honest, like even sitting here now doing S5000, doing some of the stuff I'm doing at the moment, I'm really lucky. Um, and I know that even though, you know, a lot of it have had to really knuckle down and do a lot of it myself, but, I mean, for me to still be here racing in motorsport when I'm 40, um, I owe a lot to my family and those families along the way as well. It certainly is a, a big grab. I know uh, Brian Sheed had a lot to do with my father. On the other side of the fence in design and things like that with both the Australian Grand Prix in Adelaide and, and here yeah. in Melbourne, and there's some of those names where they've sort of, you know, unfortunately, Brian's no longer with us, but I like to try and remember some of these names. Because like you, I've been involved in the sport since the the very beginning it's um it is interesting how those family connections they they tend to sort of grow a fair bit bit stronger um in that respect um something that i guess you had a an opportunity at was was touring cars um dennis gallagher who i guess fits into the mold of the the characters we're just talking about as well yeah brought you along and, and introduced you to tony klein at the very beginning of what ended up being dragon racing they bought yep. that nandy kiss commodore and you got very dirty under that car rebuilding and trying to establish yourself in in australia which is you know the that's where if you're going to go full-time absolute professional paid driver you were you know the writings on the wall that's where it was heading talk us through that journey because that was kind of a bit of a weird motorsport sort of arrangement a lot of a lot of motorsports weird but that little that little workshop in morty alec was a a strange little operation there for a bit, wasn't it? Oh, it was probably the weirdest thing I've ever been involved with. And an absolute, like, and Dennis and me are still friends. We still talk to this day. And he probably didn't know what he was getting himself into as well. And, you know, sort of got ousted out of it as well. And the thing was, it was a complete disaster, to be to be blunt. And a mistake. I should never have done it. <laughs> and, like... I, I can't even explain it. I can't hardly put it into words. Like, uh, I mean, there was a group of us, some, some uni kids, kids, some friends that I know, like Michael Gibson, who you might know the Gibson family from Winton was there involved in it as well. And a few sort of people came along. And I mean, I think Tony had it, had whispers from everybody all coming to try and sort of get on the train. And it was a weird situation, which, I mean, I got to do two, two rounds of Super 2, I think in the end, and the, the car was just outdated and quite terrible and it was um a very really weird situation and to be honest um they had me doing like they used to do these um tape courses and they were trying to do tape courses for motorsport so they actually had me sitting there writing tape courses for motorsport engineering at one point which was quite strange and in the end I just sort of you know put my hands up and sort of said I'm, I'm out and, and and walked away so but that was a strange probably six months to a year and um yeah quite quite memorable to be fair it's, it's interesting how these internet tycoons can spend their time and and money and uh, then when they really need to spend it don't spend it in the right directions it was oh, was 100%. a strange situation i was involved in supplying some componentry to that that team and it was yeah oh. it was very interesting i mean look the other thing is that the whole dragon motorsport thing went on and gary rogers got a hold of it and, and gary did what gary does and, and shook the, the life out of it and uh 
you know, Dragon Racing was plastered across the front of a couple of kids' cars for a while there too. Oh, yeah. Basically, like, I mean, yeah, he sort of, the reason that they got to know each other was because I did a deal to buy a better car, which was one of the Gay Rogers cars. So that's sort of how that relationship started. And yeah, then I sort of, in a roundabout way, got ousted out of that. And uh, yeah, Gary got quite a bit of benefit out of that in the end. And that's just the way it goes. That's just business, I suppose. But yeah, such a weird situation to be involved with. <laughs> so touring cars, full stop for Tim Macro at that point? Pretty much. Like I did two more races that year in a better car, believe it or not, a Gary Rogers car, um, where we did the 250K Super 2 race um, uh, at Bathurst. And we were in a good position, but just got caught out with um, safety cars and pit stops in that race. And I think we were, you know, just knocking on the door of the top 10. And it was the same um, in Sydney. We, I did the Sydney race in that same car. And I mean, I qualified, I qualified next to Macaulay Jones and James Golding in, and they were in, you know, fairly decent machinery. And I was in this um, older sort of 09 model sort of uh, Gary Rogers car. And I think we finished 11th or 12th in that race. So, you know, I was really proud of that because I think Super 2 was probably at it, around about its peak at that point. There was 30 cars in the field. It was really tough. And, you know, I was sort of proud of what we did in that point. And to be honest, the opportunity just sort of never came around again. And I mean, unless you're in at that point, triple eight machinery or a tick for machinery, you don't really get a chance to shine and the, and the budgets are quite high. So I sort of just never went down that road again. Being in the, um, in an open wheeler scene for so long, how was the transition to go from that to a fairly ordinary supercar to a better supercar from a driver's point of view, from a style of driving and how you got to manage it with a car around you, bodywork, and as opposed to something that really handles. Look, I mean, the driving technique required for supercars is, yeah, is quite unique. Um, you know, it, it, you see a lot of the drivers in Super 2, they need that three, four years sometimes to really get to their peak. And that's just because the cars are different to anything else in, in the rest of the world. Like, there's not much, uh, many cars left that have a stick and lock diff and all that sort of stuff and are quite as big and heavy as what they are. So you just need time. And I didn't really have that much time in the cars. We never really tested or did any of that sort of stuff. So I sort of just jumped in and had a go and the transition was difficult. Like, I mean, I've mainly driven high downforce sort of cars, but I mean, towards the end of that Sydney race, I was really sort of starting to wrap my head around it. And I, I probably needed another good year or two in the, in the category to really get the best out of myself in that position. And yeah, the cars are just super unique and I just, you know, you just need a bit of time. Also had a bit of a go in GT. Was it yeah. in 2017, uh, yep. Lambo? How did that all come about and play out? I actually um, raced for Team BRM who were, um, in Formula 3 and they were running that car in Adelaide. So I got involved um, through that and came along as the, the professional driver. And, you know, we ran really well. Like we qualified top five, running third. And, you know, the, the gentleman driver would get in and drop back a little bit, but um i mean we did the australian grand prix in a ferrari as well which was a bit of a slower ferrari at that point so um but the lamborghini was really good it was a good car at that point and really good on the street track so you know to be honest it was probably more more fun than a, than a career move um but i really enjoy driving the gt cars they have a lot in common with uh the formula three cars and the high downforce stuff and they're just brilliant cars to drive to be fair obviously a lot better than the supercar like uh as a point of learning, I guess, whereas you can probably jump into a GT car and be a little bit more at home 
a lot quicker. Absolutely, yeah. You, there's so much in common with the high downforce nature of the cars. They're, they're stiff, they sit flat, they do everything pretty right. And then they've got the extra stuff, you know, you've got traction control and ABS, so you don't have to worry about all that other stuff. And, <laughs> um, you know, you can just barrel in there and they're, they're brilliant cars to drive. And, and you, know, I, you know, I still drive a GT car here and there in testing and um, have done a couple of lower level races and they're just the best cars to drive. And, you know, I really enjoy that side of things, the high downforce cars, and they really do everything right. Tim, is there anything on the international stage as far as GT3 that you can grasp and get more racing from? Is, is that something you've, you've thought of or is there, is there an opportunity to do that? Absolutely. Um, like, I mean, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but I spent two or three years in China um, going back and forth, um, 2017, 2018 into 2019 uh, doing LMP3 over there. And those cars you know, they're really my cup of tea, those things. Um, they were just awesome. And, you know, we finished third in the last year in, in 2018 against some really sort of high-level drivers out of Europe. And um, that was great. And I actually did a race for the Audi factory team over there in a, in a four-hour race uh, in a GT3 car. And um, that's really where I was heading. And then when, actually when the pandemic hit at the start of 2020, I was over there testing. So I was in Stepung um, testing GT3 cars, um, and had a sort of a 12 round sort of championship lined up over there and then um, uh, came home and you know two years later here we are sort of thing you know like and it was quite funny because at the time you don't sort of realize what's going on but all the guys were sort of working on the car you know some are from Wuhan and, and places like that and you just we had no idea what was going on until I sort of landed early 2020 back home and everything just shut down so yeah, to be honest, that's the direction I was definitely heading in. Um, while I was still doing the S5000 testing at that point, um, I was focusing on China and China was really good for me. And I was, I was a professional racing driver over there. Can it be again? I don't know. Like I've still got my contacts over there and stuff, but things are still really difficult over there. I mean, Shanghai has been locked down and, you know, um, some of the teams, the team I was racing with in LMP3 has basically shut everything down at this point. So, I mean, you never say never. Um, and definitely if the opportunity arises, I'll definitely go back over there because I had an absolute ball and great people and, and really good professional European style racing. So you've seen Asia Le Mans and all that sort of stuff as well. It's at that level. And um, yeah, I'd love to go back. So hopefully everything sort of starts sort of opening back up on the mainland again and we can start doing it. You did touch on uh, S5000. We'd like to go a bit more into that side of things, how that came about with... Chris Lambden's idea yep. and how, how together with him, I guess you were instrumental in what it is now. Look, I, I saw it. Um, I saw the mock-up out the front of Mike Orland's uh, workshop uh, when they first had the Swift variant of it, the first one. And I thought that looked pretty cool. And so I went down and had a look at it and Chris was there and um, I spoke to Chris and I said, you know, I'll, I'll do the testing for you. I'll do it for free. Um, you know, I just want to, I just want to be involved and I, I really like testing and development. Um, I'm really interested in the engineering side of motorsport. Um, so I, I offered my services to him and he, he took me up on it and, and Mike was ha happy to have me um, because he knew me and, and knew what I, what I was about. And it just went from there. And gee, I was thinking the other day, like that was like 2015 or 2016 even, um, it's a long time ago now uh, when we first started sort of um, testing that car and, and that's how I got to know the guys at Hollinger and we went through all that development side of things. And, you know, it's, 
it's it's an interesting one because a lot of people and they still do sort of some of the commentators and stuff say I did all this tilt of testing but you know we really never did a lot of testing at the car um you know the car did a lot of demo laps and a lot of uh, you know a lot of different things but we did a little bit of testing and then straight into racing and and that's a testament to the development of what Hollinger did with the gearbox and Mike Walland at the start of what they built because the thing has been so reliable and um you know it's a testament to those guys and then obviously Gary Rogers and that taking it over and um you know productionizing it I suppose I haven't uh, been able to call a race since the series started Tim but I certainly know I was the first commentator to call an S5000 when you did that test at Island Magic Pi Arc cleared I think two lots of 15 minutes over the weekend yeah. so that you could do laps of uh, Phillip Island out of the program. And uh, I knew at that point in time, because the car had a livery on it, it was away from the black carbon. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is now going to go somewhere. If they're going to put a livery on it, then there's, yep. there's somewhere for it to go on S 5,000. Um, it came on strong at Sandown, real strong. You know, we had some F1 drivers out. You had a win. Yep. Um, since that time, like open wheeler racing has been in Australia, there's been fluctuating grids. The AGP was great again this year. Yep. Has COVID meant that this program needs to be launched again? And is the TV package right for the formula? Uh, it, we lost all momentum, didn't we? Um, you know, we had those two rounds. We had the bend after that as well. We did those two races in the end of 2019. And then we shut up shop um, for eight months, really. Um, you know, we needed that first Australian Grand Prix, you know, and we got what two sessions before we got sent home. So, I mean, that was really difficult to take and difficult for the category. And to be honest, they've been building um, that, trying to rebuild it since then. Like it's, let's, let's be honest. And I mean, there's a few tweaks that need to be done, which are in the works, which, you know, I won't speak about, but um, some really exciting things that they're going to try and do for next year to build it back up again and get the excitement, get the right drivers in the category um and you know try and move everything forward and like i mean for it to be successful it only needs 12 to 15 solid cars every round um and it can be like you saw the racing this year even with 10 cars was still pretty bloody good and you know there's a few tweaks that can be made here and there uh, just to make it a little bit better now with the tv stuff yep to be honest i i believe it needs to be on you know fox sports or needs to be on with like the V8 coverage, for example, um, hopefully Channel 7, all that sort of stuff. I think that will help it. Um, I mean, I think in a couple of years time, you know, the the platform that we're on at the moment will be, you know, one of the things that people, everybody will have probably, but probably it's a little bit early. So, you know, it, it does make it a little bit difficult if um, everybody hasn't got that platform to really sell the sponsorship and, and help with that. So I think, you know, some little tweaks here and there and, um, you know, that sort of TV package would be a real help for the category. But Tim, the think Formula One is, is currently very popular with the, uh, the Netflix generation of, of um, Formula One. The S5000 could be and should be the Aussie Formula One. You know, if anyone's aspirational to Formula One, this is where they, they should go. And we really need to be taking advantage of this popularity of, of the Netflix generation in, in Formula One. Your thoughts on that? Absolutely, agree with you, 100%. It was really interesting because I've done oh, what, three or four races at Albert Park over the years. And, you know, the Formula Ford races and the F3 races is uh, people usually when have got a hot dog at that point. Um, but 
if you see photos of the S5000 races and the video from the Grand Prix, you'll see everybody was on the fence going, what are these things? And it was exciting and the crowd loved it. So absolutely, we need to take advantage of people are starting to understand open wheel racing, the technology behind it, you know, what it all means, um, more so than um, the Roof Brigade. And, you know, it can, it can work if it's promoted the right way. And, you know, if it's activated the right way, if everything is put, um, you know, towards the fans and they understand it and they get to see behind the scenes and all that sort of thing, you know, I think it can be successful, 100%. There's a couple of things I would like to mention. The first one is a clarification about when you were, say, you were testing the cars, they did change quite a bit. Uh, from yeah. from the chassis right through. So uh, what you're saying is true. You didn't get a lot of chance to test because the final product was the one that basically went straight into production, for lack of a better word, straight into racing. And the second point was, uh, do you think people got a little bit deterred from some scuttle going around that they were going to sell the series overseas? Look, yeah, with the, with the first thing, yeah, the change of chassis was massive. Like we did some good initial testing with the Swift chassis and then obviously it needed a halo. Um, that was a stipulation that, you know, needed to happen. Um, so basically they wheeled the back end of the Swift onto the new tub. And so essentially we kind of done a lot of that sort of, you know, testing, engine testing, drivetrain testing, I suppose, um, you know, quite early on and, and got that sort of half sorted. So, I mean, I, you know, with the second car, the second car was, wasn't actually as quick as the Swift. So it, it's quite a bit of a different car. Um, so we didn't really do a lot of running there. We just, we did a few demos and we, you know, went into, um, uh, went straight into the races. So that, that's a testament to what we did in just such a short amount of time. Um, and your second question, what was that again? <laughs> About There was some scuttle going around that, they were that the series might be sold OS and yeah. it may have yep. deterred some people getting involved in it. hundred percent. Yeah. That was, um, yeah, probably got blown up a little bit more in, um, in the media of, than what I think was intended, but yeah, it, it didn't help. Um, let's, let's be honest about it. And, you know, I've been assured that 100% these cars are staying local. Um, the category is definitely going to stay in Australia. And they're working 100% ARG, that is 100% to make the category successful. And they're going to put resources into it and make it work. So I'm really excited about next year. I think next year is going to be really good for the category and we're very, very hopeful. We've still got the uh, Tasman series to come as well. So that, I think that should be pretty interesting uh, aside from that. The other thing that I wanted to mention was that we, we spoke off uh, before the show about it the performance between the S3 cars and the S5000. We know the S5000 is not about a series that's going to be mind-blowingly fast, like F1-style speeds, but a, a series of to make you race and to make you drive. So, therefore, it's turned out that these times around any track are about the same as an S3 car. Can you just give us a brief description on where, you, where the differences are and why the S3 car is as good as it is against the S5000? Well, I mean, they make their lap time in completely different ways. Um, the F3 car's light. They only weigh 550 kilos. Um, they've only got 220 horsepower and as much downforce or mid-corner speed as, as an F1 car. So they go around the corner super fast. And like turn one at Phillip Island and even over the top, 
um, Lukey Heights, if the day's right, is flat. And, you know, you're doing, doing that flat at 250Ks in top gear. So that, that's that sort of car. So it makes its it makes its lap time by going around corners down the straight. It's not fast. Like they they're only geared at Phillip Island if it's windy for 250. So that's not super fast. So the S5000 is on the other end of the spectrum. Not really big downforce. Um, very heavy. So they're 940 kilos with me in it, which is pretty heavy for an open wheel car, mm. and not a great deal of downforce and big horsepower. So the straight line handling is pretty bloody good um i mean we've done you know we've done 300 in the car before it'll do it and um that's how it makes its lap time um and it's difficult around the corners like the cars are a difficult car to drive um by design and they make you work for it then look they're not coming into a corner or they're not scary that that's not they're not the word it's just you just have to work for it like you can make the thing slide you can uh, burn the tires off it pretty pretty quickly now that we're not we haven't got any traction controls on the car um and you know you've got to work hard as a driver and, and you know a lot of the v8 guys who've come back and driven the cars says it really sharpens them up for when they get back in a supercar so i mean i think there's some relevance there as well so yeah the car's just a beast really tim just over your career you've driven with some really top-notch teams you've mentioned brm um who in in open wheeler racing are, are you know right up there there's some of the big open wheeler teams in australia Marana in the Formula Holden era, BRM in the F3 era. Mm. Um, just give us a, a pricey of some of those teams that you've driven for and what you've taken out of them to apply to Tim Macro Racing, the business that you now run. You've got customers that are serving, yeah. you're serving like when you were racing for some of those other teams. Look, you, you look at BRM, like in F3, they were the, they were the standard. And um, I was lucky enough to do... I think I only did one year for them, but then I became their driver coach for a good couple of years after that. So, I mean, you look at how they operate and what they were doing and, um, you know, you can take a lot out of that, just equipment wise, how they present themselves. Um, you know, some of the engineers they got there, like Marcus Koch, um, I learned a lot from him in a short amount of time when I worked with him at Australian Grand Prix. And then when I was driver coach there in Formula Four as well. So I took a lot from that team. And then, I think when I was over in Asia, I learned a lot about presentation, to be honest, like they, they are top notch over there in Asia and the, how, how everything looks and how they operate in that way. And that's a big priority of theirs. And I think when me and my dad were running our team, that really wasn't a priority of ours. It was more about let's put everything into the car and don't worry about what happens at the garage. And um, I've had to sort of take that with me a little bit more in, in operating my team and trying to make everything look as professional as we can and getting the right people on board. And that's super important, having the right people. And I've got uh, a couple of guys who I really rely on and um, they've just been brilliant and guys who've been in motorsport for a long time as well. And, you know, you take all that and their advice as well and you apply it. And I mean, our F3 team's been going really well. The S5000 team as well, even though I'm driving it, I've, you know, we're only a single car operation and, you know, we've been in the running for championships in both years. So, I mean, I'm really proud of what we do and, um, you know, we, we can take it to the big guys and we will be the big guy in, in the next year or two. With your F3 program, um, that's, as you say, been quite successful. Would those guys that are running in those cars be uh, candidates to jump up to S5000? Or yep, jump sideways, maybe? Yep. <laughs> yeah like i mean um f3 at the moment 
is pretty low key. So it's a good place to learn sort of out of the spotlight, I suppose. And I've already had one of my kids in the S5000 late last year and absolutely loved it. And a couple of my drivers are, um, are really keen to have a go and, and see what it's, it, what it's like for them. And, you know, the good thing about it is, like, I mean, I've got contacts in Asia and, and the US still and in, in different places around the world. And um, I can sort of help them go where they want to go. So, um, you know, that the word is sort of catching on a little bit, I suppose. And, and I, I really enjoy that side of things. I enjoy the coaching side of things and, and helping kids sort of progress their careers and start their careers, really. Tim, you had a chance also when you, you shared your S5000, you also had a chance to drive one of the genuine original Formula 5000s uh, as well. Is that yep. the first time you drove one of them and your thoughts between, I guess, the decades that were between F5000 and S5000? Yeah, look, I've driven a, an early, uh, like a cigar-shaped 162 Lola, I think. Um, that's the first 5000 I drove. And basically it went straight, but not much else. Um, and then... I drove the T400 the other week um, and you can't compare the two. Like it's, it's completely different. Um, you know, you basically, you know, a bomb on wheels in, in the T400, you're just surrounded by fuel and the thing's light. And if you crash, you're going to die. And it's just completely <laughs> different. You know, um, the, the, the biggest thing is, is like, you can actually see out of them. That's the difference. Like, even though I couldn't really see over the windscreen in the 400, like there's all this, vision and i was like oh god like we're buried in the cockpit of the of the um of the s5000 but you feel a little bit safer in the s5000 you're not just surrounded by bodywork and that's about it um you're not in a tin can so i think that's the biggest difference but i love driving the historic cars i've driven a lot of rolls uh t4s and stuff over the years and now the t400 which i was lucky enough to do a few laps in you know they're just awesome and you can see their appeal and uh i loved it absolutely loved it the guys that drove them, you know, the the Maddiches and the Bartlett's oh, and those, yeah, super duper, <laughs> weren't they? Oh, look, you know, even I I was I was um, lucky enough to drive the 962 Porsche, the Blaupunk one that's in Australia, and um, even that thing, driving that thing with the you know full synchro mesh box, the whole bit, those guys were heroes back then. Like to do a two hour stint at Le Mans and that thing, I don't know how they did it, and. <laughs> It's the same for the guys in the 5,000, absolute heroes to really, they were putting it all on the line. Uh, yeah, at the end of the day, they were put, absolutely putting it all on the line. And those cars still, you know, they do 275, 290 in a straight line. Like they're not slow at all, but they didn't really stop and go around a corner too well. So those guys are just absolute heroes in my book. Interesting, Tim. There's three grown men on the screen at the moment. Those at home can't see it, but we're all grinning from ear to ear talking about these things, aren't we? Yeah, little giggles, absolutely. little giggles, and, <laughs> and that's, that's what, what I think. And that's what Chris wanted to try and recreate with S5000, and he's done a bloody good job of it. You know, um, something contemporary, but you know, sort of hark back and put a smile on people's face. Well, as you say, you know, people come come and stand by the by the fences. Uh, they might be off doing something else, chasing kids or getting a drink or whatever. But as soon as S5000s or F5000s, if you go to a historic meeting, come out, <laughs> everyone is up on their feet and, and glaring and usually Absolutely. the jaws drop. Yep, 100%. And it's, um, it was really good to see, especially at the Grand Prix. Like there's a, a really good photo of us going through turn one, um, sort of like a, almost a helicopter shot. And you can see all the crowd like were just up on the fence for us. And it was, it was awesome to see. It's quite the compliment at the AGP because a lot of the international media... Uh, often make comment about how how educated the Australian motorsport fan is, 
And the AGP drags a completely different motorsport fan to the racetrack. They're not the ones that we see at Winton or Phillip Island in the middle of winter at an event. They're, they're open wheeler people. And uh, the fact that they're watching what you're doing, Tim, is, is it's really good. It, it's just, I just hark back to it and go, Sandown was massive. Friday practice, the grandstand was half full. Yeah. It probably would have been three quarters full if they had have opened the other end up. Yeah. Um, and There's to be able to people that, there. Yeah, to be able to open that up for all of us in the, that are in the sport know and love open wheeler racing for what it is, the spectacle of it. It's just getting that next step. And no one's been able to do it for 40 years in Australia, have they? No, like, I mean, Formula Holden obviously was quite successful, but was always, you know, a bit of a, a partner of supercars or whatever, or just an undercard. And F3 was the same. Like, you know, F3 went for 10 years uh, under Cam's rule and with Gold Star and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that was just as successful, I suppose, but they seem to get to about the 10th year and sort of peter out. So it, it's a tough one. Uh, I don't know really how to answer it, but. I mean, I think S5000 has the ingredients to be, have longevity and your crowd appeal and all those sort of things. And, you know, to be honest, a, a couple of us have said it's the first time, um, I think it was at the Melbourne Grand Prix or one of the events, the first time we've actually gotten in an elevator and the people have seen our shirts and they go, oh, do you do that S5000? And I've never seen that ever um, with open wheel racing. So people who are, you know, novices to motorsport are taking notice if they go watch it. And um, hopefully, you know, down the track, you know, it'll get a really big fan base and it can grow. Well, I think it, even at Bathurst last year, they, uh, they come across quite well, even though it was a little bit of a crash fest amongst some of them. <laughs> but, uh, it was disappointing, I tell you. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, you know, it's, it was one of those things. Uh, I mean, we really needed to put on a show and we didn't. It was yeah. as simple as that. And, you know, there was just too many crashes and too many safety car laps. So, you know, that's something that really we need to, make sure we put on a good show this year and, and do some laps. In, in saying that too, the uh, the turnaround time on a crash car, getting it back on track is phenomenal. Uh, we've seen that at Bathurst. We've seen it with Tim Berryman's car yep. at, at Hidden Valley last weekend. Uh, you know, like in the old days, those cars wouldn't have been racing again probably ever. Nah, like, I mean, the cars are strong. Like even you remember in the first race at Sandown, Alex Davison's car, uh, and that was probably the biggest crash you'll ever have you know, at Sandown, you know, that car was complete again two days later. I mean, the the cars are, the good thing about open wheel cars are so modular, they're made to break apart and then you just put a new one on. So, I mean, you know, even my crash at Bathurst, you know, knocked a corner off. It was literally an hour later, we had the car sitting on the ground ready to go for the next one. So that's what's so great about them. And the cars is really strong. The tubs, I tell you, like they're, they're pretty bloody thick and You'd have to have a pretty pretty big crash to wreck one of those, and you know you feel really safe in the cars, and they've got you know everything you need to keep you safe on them. It's funny story. Um, I bumped into Alex at the airport that night in the uh, Virgin Lounge, and he said he said I've just got a text message from David Brabham. Sorry to hear you had an accident. Pity it was the Brabham that turned you around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen the video. Like it just oh, he just gets him on the crash box too. Yeah. Like it wasn't much but yeah, it just turned enough. into a big one too but it's, that was amazing that's that's the same night david brabham in england knew about it yep. yeah <laughs> obviously <laughs> Matt, matty's been in touch <laughs> word travels fast yes it does yes i'm pretty <laughs> sure you meant the napa auto parts lounge at the airport that night <laughs> yeah yes. yep <laughs> hey tim here's a question from the universe for you why yep. do you race 
I haven't really been asked that in a long time. I really enjoy it. I enjoy the challenge. And you like to think I'm pretty good at it too at, at some point. And um, I've always been really competitive. So, I mean, that's probably the main things. And I like driving really cool cars. Um, to be honest, if, if the... I don't get excited. If it doesn't appeal to me, I don't get super excited about it and I probably don't want to do it. But if I look at a GT car, I look at the S5000, I look at an F3 car, I get pretty excited about it. I want to have a steer. And, you know, I just, I just like doing it. Um, I like challenging myself. You've got to be super committed to every waking moment pushing to be a racing car driver, don't you? It's not something you pull on a pair of boots and kick the pigskin around the park or grab a tennis racket and hit a ball up and down a court. It, it all it's all consuming isn't it basically yeah like i mean i'm not home very often my poor wife you know she's home quite a lot and you know it's it's hard it can be hard on families as well like it's it's a it's a big big commitment and you know even and then on top of that running your own team as well as doing the driving side of things it's just 24 hours a day and you, you've just got to be a little bit stupid or silly um and super committed as well and it's it'll it's your life basically and um you know you, you bring it home there's you you know you're doing phone calls at night you're talking to people you're doing different things and you're away a lot it's yeah it's basically your life tim i can if you're on your way to bed tonight just go and grab those two gold stars mate that'll reassure you yeah. that you're pretty good <laughs> they at keep it. me warm they <laughs> keep, keep you warm at night <laughs> two little two little 20 really little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it's but, been yeah. great having you on tim uh, we much appreciate of, of what you've done for the sport, what your involvement is in the sport and where you'll be going in the future. No, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, um, fantastic to have uh, Tim Macro. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, Timmy uh, certainly gave us a good insight on how his career started and how he's come through the ranks and he's done it all on his own basically too he hasn't been fed to golden spoon or anything like that so no good on him interesting you mentioned leanne tander as well because you know she was the, the first female to win a, a gold star race um at phillip island um others um james winslow ben Klukas. so tim has raced some of the top performing international open wheeler races during his career and, and just fantastic that he's given so much of his time to us today yeah absolutely Right now, um, I think we should just touch on a couple of things that's uh, been happening around the traps. There was a major meeting at Sydney Motorsport Park a couple of weeks ago, Sydney Classic. And uh, I wanted to touch on John o. Webb, who raced in the uh, main game, Supercar, still does uh, as a co-driver. He um, got to run his father's uh, former Caltech Sierra, Ford Sierra, and broke the his heritage uh, lap record there. And believe it or not, was one second off John Bowers' Group A lap record at Sydney Motorsport Park. And given that um, there's been a slight change to the track, I know, but uh, this, this car now runs very low boost, around 500 and something odd horsepower, as compared to the light switch type horsepower that they ran back in the Group A days. Uh, but the funniest part about all that was that when the guys that work on the car decided they want to run it, they rang Jono and asked him if he would be keen to have a run in it. Yep. Uh, so will you tell your dad that you're going to run the car? He said, no, you have to tell him to run in the car because he was overseas. So when the boys rang up to tell him that they'll run the car and Jono's going to be behind the wheel, 
there was dead silence on the other end of the phone. But ultimately, he must have gone with it. And so he got the run the car there. And um, he just played with that uh, heritage touring car field of Group C and Group A cars. Basically stuck with them for about three or four laps of each race then just scooted off into the distance to try and set this new record, which he now... The car now holds at the bend and at Sandown. So that's three tracks where it's a heritage touring car lap record holder. So there's uh, also historic racing coming up at Winton in um, August as well, just while we're touching on that as well, where the historic sports sedans are going to be on at there as well, Gaz. And also something we touched on in our first podcast was uh, the Fink Desert Rally, which has been run and won again this year as well. The, the Desert Race and Toby Price and uh, Jason Duncan won it in their extreme two-wheel drive. Chev-powered Mitsubishi uh, TSCO trophy truck. Now, they set a new record for the course. And um, I don't know, I don't think you've been there, Daz, but it's certainly an event that you should Put on your bucket list at some stage i went there for seven years in a row back in the 90s and it's certainly grown a lot since then um aaron james was second in the pro buggy which is a like a typical looking uh, off-road vehicle ford ecoboost v6 turbo powered uh uh alumicraft and uh brent martin with uh andre de simone and ben dawson sharing the co-driver duties or navigators duties now in the pro light which is a under three and a half liter class in their uh jimco nissan v6 powered thing so that's a phenomenal effort against some of those big horsepower um machines for them to get into uh third spot ahead of shannon Ian wrench who have probably had a mortgage on that event for quite a while going back uh over the years so yeah so that was uh how that all finished up last weekend of course we had uh hidden valley with uh, uh, Painter Dixon, Porsche Career Cup Australia running there. And uh, Wood, three years after his last win in the category, and it happened to be at uh, Hidden Valley, won again. And he beat the Terraway Points leader, Harry Jones. And in S5000, Joey Morton picked up his second uh, Gold Star Australian Drivers' Championship with the win there. Unfortunately, as we mentioned with Tim, that he... uh, was involved in an accident, none of his own doing, and that ruled out any chance of him finishing either second or first and ultimately finished fourth. But the one I wanted to touch on was combined sedans, which is a category where they have improved production, Commodore, Commodore Cup, the Hyundai XLs, which is about nine of them up there now. They all seem to be moving up towards that, and HQ Holdens all run together over three races. The guy that won the race was uh, Justin Keyes in a VS Commodore. Now you might uh, remember years ago, there was a guy named David Scalenda who had a, a, a Commodore and that's the same car. And that car's fastest lap over the weekend was a 113.8, one-tenth of a second faster than Ray Hislop's uh, time in the car. So when it comes to the Nationals later this year at Morgan Park, it might be worth going up to have a look because... Uh, it uh, could be an upset on the cards. Certainly some pretty good uh, lap times there as well. And uh, I guess one of the interesting ones from, from my perspective was uh, the great Robert Braun went up there with his BMW E30 and uh, in race three got second place and I think got um, got third on the podium for the weekend. It's a big old haul to take your improved production car to, uh, to Hidden Valley. 
for uh, you know a real you know, grassroots racing team to do so, and uh, all of those teams really got to be congratulated because they have they most of them do haul from all over the place, don't they? Well, well Rob's been there before with that car, and he's also raced up there in Gary Trelaw's uh, Charger in uh, Touring Car Masters in years gone by. Yeah, certainly uh, that, that is a big one. And they get, uh, like Adam Butler came from uh, Western Australia in his HQ and he won all three part, HQ parts of the event. And um, in uh, Commodore Cup, David Ling, the local, well, <laughs> he got, he got uh, two wins and virtually fell over the line to take the third one as well for Commodore Cup. So uh, pretty good effort there. And Josh Richards from Queensland was the XL winner, but he... Had a hard time. He was racing against Ryland Gray, who's the son of Jero Gray, and Ben Gomesall, who's the son of Jason Gomesall. There's a lot of second generation drivers there coming is. through that we can yes. get on the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast, isn't there, Gaz? The ARC in Tasmania this weekend as well. Yep. Um, it's been really cold here in Melbourne. I don't know what it's going to be like in Tasmania, but uh, we were supposed to be at Phillip Island this weekend racing. I put up my hand to do a bit of stage calling over there, uh, but uh, no one answered my call, mate. So uh, I was, we, we I was here this weekend. I was destined to be down there as well, but since that's not not happening, I'm going to be at Sydney Motorsport Park on Saturday. Big weekend at Sydney uh, Motorsport Park. New South Wales State Championships, every category racing, and there's eight categories on the program i think improved production have got a split grid so that makes up the eight all race under lights even including super carts and formula v so it should be a big one and i think that'd be the first time ever that we've had a state championship round have races for every category under lights it's fantastic, isn't it? Also got to say congratulations and thank you to everyone that has contacted us with uh, bits and pieces of uh, calendar pieces that we can get to. We've only got a short amount of time during our podcast to get to it, but uh, certainly we will. We appreciate the feedback that we've been given. We appreciate those calendar dates that we get and little bits and pieces of news. Gary's, of course, our news hound, the, uh, the great man himself. So um, Gaz, been a, uh, a full-on couple of weeks and our first show went pretty well, I think. Yeah, all the reaction I got was all positive. <laughs> you usually hear when someone doesn't say a nice thing about it, but no. Yeah, I you do, don't it. you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's sometimes good not to hear a thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. no news is good news, as they say. <laughs> well, we wrap up uh, episode number two. Great chat with Tim Macro, and, of course, we welcomed it and Felipe as part of the Napa Know How Motorsport Academy at www.napaparts.com.au forward slash academy. You can win that trip to the Indy 520 23. You have to be able to fold up Gary O'Brien into your suitcase to take him over there for that one. <laughs> and uh, Gaz, thanks very much. We've uh, episode two of Gaz and Daz. Yeah, thank you, Daz. It's been fantastic. You've just listened to another Network R production. 